Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all off-season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Still taking me a long time to get through all the stuff you do every, every week, Doug. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, I got to come up with like a profession that consolidates all that. I don't. There might be something, so I'm going to work <laughs> on that. It seems like it would tie to the farming industry somehow with a, you know just a lot of work. So, um, but I'll I'll come back on you. But yes, I'm enjoying it. Things are well. UConn. My class is uh, finished. My first week. Start the wow. second week. Really enjoying that and a whole Great. new crop of students. Big class this year, 56, 57 Oof. students. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's your charisma. <laughs> Never ends. <laughs> Something like that, right? So, so, Doug, I'm in a cool little section of Starkville known as Cooperstown. Yeah. Uh, it's always special to be here, but especially this week. Uh, I'm here for Hall of Fame election week. Uh, I'll be part of the MLB Network programming all week. Uh, we have our election show Tuesday night, special two-hour edition of MLB Now on Tuesday afternoon with our guest this week, Brian Kenny, And then um, uh, more Hall of Fame talk on MLB Now on Wednesday. So what do you think, man? You jealous that I'm here and you're not? Yeah, I really like, can I guess what hotel you're staying at over there? I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah you can sound. guess it's 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 a it's a beautiful experience and you know i played the hall of fame game once not not the major league level one but just as an old retired baseball player uh ozzie smith phil necro dale murphy jim rice rick wise and a whole cavalcade bill lee was classic so it's a lot of great memories but it's such a nostalgic beautiful town and um great memories my mike schmidt photo i got when i was like 11 got it from the you know beautiful color in the powder blue phillies uniform that's one of my keepers from Cooperstown. So uh, great memories there. So you were in the powdered blue uniform or Mike Schmidt was in the powdered blue Mike uniform? Mike Schmidt, yeah. In the Hall of Fame game. It's kind of a headshot. No, it was just that I got a, I bought a headshot when I was like 11. Oh, you bought it? For my, my first trip to Cooperstown. <laughs> okay. So uh, I still have it. Yes. 
I, I always refer to Cooperstown as the magic kingdom. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't magical enough to make 10 inches of snow disappear this morning when I was trying to get from my hotel to the Hall of Fame, but it, it's okay. Cooperstown is actually beautiful and charming any time of year, and hey, when it's covered by snow, it's so picturesque. Uh, just a special town. For those of you listening who have never visited here, you should put that on your bucket list because if you love baseball, you'll love Cooperstown. I think it's pretty much that simple. So Tuesday night is the night that they're going to reveal who got elected. Caveat, if anybody. Uh, You know, as I said, I'll be on the election show, uh, which starts at four in the afternoon Eastern time. Announcement shortly after six. But before we talk to Brian Kenny about that show and the the big questions on this ballot, um, here is my take. Okay, I think there's going to be some drama here because, boy, it looks like this is going to be very close. Uh, But my gut feeling is your friend, Scott Rowland, your former teammate, is going to come up just short, which means, all right, we'd have a shutout in the writers voting for the second time in three years after there'd been two in the previous 50 years. So, Doug, I'm curious. Um, I mean, you don't vote, but, you know, you're certainly a interested observer in the process. How would you react? Uh, how do you think Scott would react since you know him so well? And do you think it's a problem if we have two elections in three years where nobody gets elected? Well, you know, I think, my first thought is, you know, I when you think of your time, your era of playing, you, you associate all these great players and you know that they had to be some of the greatest of all time. And so you always feel like, oh, there's always some player every year that's going to be able to reach that threshold just because of the nature of who you competed against all those years. So that, that's like the first take. And then you look inward, you think of your own teams. And Scott Rowland is somebody that definitely was one of the best that I played with. Um, you know, this is someone that was, you know, so athletic in terms of defense. I mean, his defense alone was just Hall of Fame caliber, just the glove, the consistency. And by the way, when you had a catch with Scott Rowland, it was a perfect four-seam spin like <laughs> of course. every time. Like, I mean, he it was just a laser, so accurate, and a he- what you call a heavy ball. So he probably had a high spin rate. But um, Rowland just had that ability. And just the defense was must-watch TV just watching him go about his business. But but just the, the way he's, the imposing figure he was in the batter's box. And you could tell he was a power hitter that could hit for average. And there was times you could say, see him go the other way. There's times where he decided that, you know, it was more about the extra base hits. And then he ran like his hair was on fire. So there's all these elements that were intangible that when you think of Roland, you know, I could see, you know, Hall of Fame makes sense to me. I'm not going into the numbers. I'm just thinking, looking at him. And thinking about someone I played with against, and and all the things that he brought, uh, but but Scott was a character, and and that's uh you know one part of it made him very memorable as a teammate. He he was indeed. We'll talk about some of your favorite Scott Rowland stories a little later, but um, you know I've been thinking about this. Um, if we've had one player now, David Ortiz, elected in three years, and so is that an indictment? of the system or is it uh, is it telling us that the system works that it's supposed to be hard to get in 
I kind of go back and forth in this. Where would you land? Yeah, I, I, I see part of it as a reset. And look, we, we came through this fog of uncertainty, and I'm not sure we're totally out of it. I think that's part of it. But you can't dismiss the impact of, of PEDs and <clears throat> excuse me, PEDs and, and just not only what it did to the game, but the trust, the ability to try to sift through what is authentic and what is not where that actually measures, what what are the lines that you draw in the sand. I think it takes a long time to come with some sort of understanding, whether personally as a voter or as a fan or as an opponent or competitor, to understand really what, what impact it made. Uh, I certainly have spoken quite a bit about the negative components of it, but I also look at it not knowing what the timeline is about how when you reconcile. When do you come to a place? Is it a generational shift? Is it that new voters come in? Is it that, you know, we have new information, uh, players retire? What, you know, I don't know, but I think it takes a lot of time. And the uncertainty kind of lends itself to be like, well, you know, I want to make sure that this person gets into the hall. But I also, you know, want to make sure, obviously, it's an elite class. And I want to make sure that the numbers were authentic, that actually it, it's something that I can trust. And because something like PEDs has such a direct correlation with numbers and longevity and, and pr- productivity, that's where you have a problem because you can't separate it. It's not like, you're like oh, okay, character clause, the guy was you know racist. He was, you're kind of like, all right, maybe it's a sign of the times. It's harder, but numbers that are inflated are just numbers that are inflated, and that's the main metric by which you get in. So I, I think there is an element of that. I, I look at the players I played with in that time and look at these numbers and their capabilities, and I see, oh, yeah, they're really talented, and there's a lot of Hall of Famers in that group. There's just a lot of hesitation, too. Would you lower the percentage from 75 to, I don't know, 70? I mean, if it was 70, Kurt Schilling would have been elected a couple of years ago. Roland is going to clear 70 this year. Todd Helton, I think, has a good chance to clear 70 this year. Um, I mean, I'd personally be opposed to that, but maybe you feel differently. Do you think the bar is raised too high or should it, should it stay that high? I think it should be high. I think it should be high. And I, I like the fact that there are opportunities to revisit with different committees. You know, the, the way the, the hall or the process has tried to evolve, that is important to recognize that we don't have all the information and there's no one system that should stay the same forever. I mean, there's there's circumstances that shift. Uh, but I do like the way baseball in general has tried to keep a consistency to it. You know, that's what we love about the game, right? It's like, it's a dependable tried and true. And, um, and the threshold is something relatable to other times and other periods of time that allow you to have that debate and that conversation. Uh, but, you know, more data to me, more information and I guess if you look five, six years out and nobody's getting in and you know that these are maybe great players, that's a conversation. Uh, you look at the National Football League or other systems. Uh, one, one compelling thing I found interesting with the NFL is that there's actually debate, right? You know, you could be a, a voter and you could actually debate and they bring people from, there's like former players, there's all, you know. So it's like, that could be interesting, right? I mean, imagine having this televised for baseball to be in the room where like, you know, Jason Stark is debating, you know, whoever <laughs> over like who should get in. I, I think that would be pretty interesting, right? And, and could, could minds be changed? I don't know. I mean, you know, I wrote that piece about the hall with Bonds and, and others. And, uh, you know, I think it created a conversation and that was different because I was a player 
not trying to just sort of indict everybody, but just say, look, you know, this is how it impacted me as a player. And it's problematic to reward these guys. You know, um, I think we should have that discussion. Well, you know, just for me personally, I, I like having it 75%. I like having it high. I think that's what keeps it special and exclusive. I, and I sometimes think of it this way. If you were running for dog catcher and you got 70% in the dog catcher election, you know what they call it? A landslide. But if you get 70% in a Hall of Fame election, what do we call that? A heartbreak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's look, I, it's the source of a lot of disappointment, sometimes anger. Kurt Schilling got angry. Uh, I know that. But it's the Hall of Fame. It's supposed to be hard. Uh, Doug, am I wrong? No, you're not. And, and uh, absolutely. And the... You know, it's some one of these moments where you look and say, well, I don't know how, what should be the number? You know, we don't know. Like, should it be one person a year? You know, you try to stay away from that because the, the greatness that you're assessing should be independent of, of like, you know, a, you know quotas of hey, one guy or whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't have to be a guy now, That's which is great. We should recognize all the women connected to, to baseball. But I, I think that there's so much to, to unearth because we are still coming out of this fog and I don't know if we're through it. So that also makes you wonder what numbers, because you're already questioning the numbers produced on the field to a certain degree. <laughs> so, so it's natural to go back and say, well, 75, but it should be hard. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I have great admiration for so many guys that have put up great careers, probably aren't in the hall. You know, it's like some of the best players that I, that I played against. So, you know, it's tough and it should be. Well, you know what else I know? Oh, we can't settle anything, <laughs> the, two, the two of us. Um, so I, I think we should just ask somebody who has more reverence for the Hall of Fame than anybody I know. Uh, we're we're going to bring in my good friend Brian Kenny of MLB Network. Uh, we're hanging out in Cooperstown together all week. And it's so much fun. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYS, S-I-P-C. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I am here in the beautiful Otis Saga Hotel with my good friend, Brian Kenny of MLB Network. And I know it kind of looks like we're at the Masters, but we're, <laughs> we're really here in Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame election. Brian, you can vouch for the fact we're in Cooperstown, correct? Yes. And I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. My Basset Hound hasn't arrived. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have the fireplace. <laughs> Basset right here. Have the have the Jason Stark Christmas special. That'd be nice. <laughs> we thought about trying out the fireplace, but no good could come of that outside of a little scenery here on the podcast. Cooperstown so. Fire Department would be very upset. <laughs> right. We tried doing that in this old hotel. Right. So let's not digress. Let's talk a little bit about Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame. You should know that Brian Kenny 
is actually the president of the Cooperstown Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Nobody loves Cooperstown as much as you, Brian. How did like how did you come to develop this reverence for Cooperstown, New York? It's a combination of things. I used to come here a lot. I uh, grew up on Long Island. Uh, my father would, would take me up here, and we would we would vacation all around New York State. Um, wow. you know, my, my father and my mother with my sister, like we, we vacation, we camped, believe it or not, when camping was a thing. We didn't glamp, we camped. <laughs> and we would camp around places. And then occasionally, um, we'd stay at places, say these little motels. And we used to come up here. I have pictures of me when I'm eight years old. I think I'm standing in front of Stan Musial's locker with my glove. Like I brought my glove, you know, in case, you know, a game <laughs> broke out somewhere in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I've been coming to the Hall of Fame since I was a little boy. Wow. And then I worked as a local, uh, sportscaster at Channel 62, WTZA-TV in Kingston, which is only about an hour and a half from here. So I used to come up here. I come up here on weekends. I can, sometimes I come up here with my dad when my dad was alive and we nice. we came up and we had uh, father-son weekends here. And then I had father-son weekends with my kids, um, you know, with my boys. And uh, my wife and I started coming up here because we had five kids. You know, we had, you know, you have three, four, and five, but we had so many kids that you, you, when you make trips, you can't go that far away. So, like, we couldn't go to Aruba and leave my parents with five kids. They refused. <laughs> I said, no, you have, many, you have too many kids. But we could come to Kingston and be within striking distance if one of the kids got a cold or something like that. So we've been coming here for years. Uh, my oldest daughter got married here at the Otis Saga. So we've got it pretty complete. I've always loved history. I'll wrap this up. I've always loved baseball history. Coming here was always uh, a great trip just to just soak in the baseball history. So it just made so much sense. Plus, the village is beautiful. beautiful. The countryside is beautiful. So there's two things working. There's baseball and there's the village itself. Uh, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. Mm. <laughs> As you know, me, my wife, Lisa, our whole family, we have a reverence for Cooperstown. And uh, the, the, the year of my induction weekend, I mean, we had 100 friends and family come here. Mm. And we told all those people, this place is magical. It's the magic kingdom, mm -hmm. and they all fell in love with it because you can't help it. But uh, this is not a week when you're chilling or I'm chilling. This is Hall of Fame election week. We're doing uh, MLB Now daily, 2 p.m. Eastern, um, from the Hall of Fame, and then we'll be part of the big Hall of Fame election special on Tuesday night starting at 6 p.m., correct? Right. We'll have, uh, yeah, and then uh, we're doing the official announcement with Josh Rowich, as we've done here. We used to so, do this in our studios. We would have Jeff Idelson, who was right. then president of the Hall of Fame, come down and make the announcement. And then I forget if it was pandemic-related that we just thought, well, they couldn't travel. They didn't say it made no sense to go to New York. And so we did it up here. And then once we did it up here, it was like, how come we're not coming up here every year? And then a year later, it was like, okay, let me start doing MLB now from here. And then two years later, hey, Jason, what are you doing in the winter? You're not that busy. Why don't you come up here? You know, and so we're up here. John Morosi is up here. And now we're doing hours and hours of shows, which we can do when we're here at the hall. I mean, we just finished recording an M or recording. We did it live. We're doing an MLB now show from the plaque gallery, yeah. the coolest studio in history. But you, you you know, you should let people know, Brian, what you've been doing since you got here because you've been a busy human. Yeah, I don't know. This is like it's what I like to do. It's what you like to do. You and I have been going over our ballots and going over Hall of Fame uh comparative analysis is what we like to do with, with baseball. We've been doing it for twenty five years since we first started working right. together at ESPN. 
And we would come on, and I like my, my I, the highest uh, praise I've ever gotten is from you and Tim Kirchin, who who have said that like I know before I come on your show, like I better do my homework because I've got to defend my ballot to you. I was <laughs> I was just gonna bring this up. It's I so like, funny. Like that. Yep. Um, I, I don't remember what year this was, but it really is probably twenty years ago. Me telling you on the air when I do my ballot, I literally think to myself. How am I going to defend this ballot to Brian Kennedy? And I know that sounds crazy to people out there, but let me explain what that's all about. This is, uh, Brian is, uh, is somebody who challenges us to think and to think through every name we check and every name that we don't check and to be able to explain to each other and to you why we think what we think, why we vote how we vote. Now, Brian doesn't have a vote. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> if it was up to me, I'd give you a vote, but it's not up to me. Um, but when I first told you that, I, that I, when I fill out my ballot, I'm actually thinking about you. <laughs> what went through your head? Well, no, that's the highest praise I could get because I know you work hard at it. Um, I do. And I know, look, I, again, you and Tim don't have to explain anything to me, but we have good sparring. And uh, look, we have these all internal dialogues, too, where we're battling. And look, we could go back and forth on Andrew Jones, on Jimmy Rollins. There's no perfect answer, um, just as it is with the Veterans Committee. I've evolved in my thinking. You know, again, I've gone from one place to another. Back then, in ye olden times, <laughs> remember, very few people had any objective methodology. And if you recall, most of your brethren, not you, not, not Tim, you know, not Tom Verducci, you know, not Ken Rosenthal, not Joel Sherman, but a lot of writers out there, it was, it was the dominant, you know, column that would be written would, would be something along the lines of, if I have to think about it, if I have to work at it, <laughs> no. the answer is no. And it's like, no, you should work on it a little bit. And there were people out there that would be, you know, saying, wait, take a closer look at, like, Ron Santo. Take a closer look at some of these players that are not getting, like, we need to do a better job of doing comparative analysis, sabermetrics, which was, the you know, again, on, on the rise then, of just taking into account the run scoring environment. Like, a simple thing like that, that a 300 batting average in 1930 was not the same as 1968. And many of the players that we would advocate for were guys who were in a low run scoring environment. It was like who were hitting 19 home runs and had 90 RBIs. And it's like, oh, that's not that good. No, actually, it was great, depending on the year. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I, I, I thought I love doing the sparring, you know, with, with you. And I know you really work at it. So just like explain it, have a reason. I think most voters now seem to do that and have reasons and I've swung back to where, all right, enough vote shaming. I'm an original vote shamer. <laughs> but now that, like, shaming is the national pastime, you know, in social media, I'm like, all right, enough of that. And I like when someone has what I call the anomalous pick. Have an anomalous pick. Have someone at a left field that you go, I like this guy. And so when I hear Harold Reynolds or Matt Viscursion now say, I like Jimmy Rollins, I don't rip them. Say, what's his war? Look at his career war, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, good. There's something that you're recognizing in Jimmy Rollins' career and his game that makes you think he's a Hall of Famer. Maybe we lack the language to use that. So I've swung. But back in the old times, I was like, have a, do you have a reason for this? And it's like, and why would you have this? I don't think I ripped you that much, but I pushed back. No, but you challenged. A little, yes. yes. I, don't, I don't mind the challenge. See, I, I, I love the debate when it's a thoughtful debate and we're each actually listening like the, the, the climate of the Twitter debate, <laughs> is yeah. it normally that enjoyable? I, you know, I wrote my uh, ballot column 
on uh, the, the Athletic. I think it posted last Friday. And um, a friend of mine texted me immediately and said, your mentions seem fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and my you, response was to say, you know what we call the day when I reveal my ballot? A, a day to not check my mentions. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> but, go there. But, you know, yeah. I do see every once in a while they pop up um, as alerts. And I'm like, I, I learn how little I know about baseball. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like that. Well, it's, it's, I, a, it's a bad, you know, the medium is the message is, was, you know, the old saying from Marshall McLuhan. And it, 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 it rings true um, in a lot of ways. And I, I, I think social media and Twitter specifically, it's, just, it's bad technology for communicating. And it it, like if you, it, well, it can be great and it can be terrible, but people, it's just people take shots and you have to jab. It's a jab and then you wait. And here he is again. Oh, I have, oh, I see a, a bit of weakness in his argument. I'm going to attack that. Or he left me a trigger word. I'm going to attack that. As opposed to <laughs> if you were like, hey, we're going to take your calls right now on your Hall of Fame ballot. Someone might say, Jason, you're way off. But by the time you're done speaking, you'd reach some common ground and some understanding. On Twitter, you don't do that. So you have, you're an idiot. And, and that's, what, that's what comes out. And again, I, I look at it now. Have a reason for what you're thinking. Um, as opposed to MVP voting, which again, I think... That can be done with some degree of uh, certainty. It can be done with some degree of, of uh, you know, specific study. Hall of Fame is a nebulous sort of line. It really is he is. above the line? Is he below the line? So nobody's an idiot if you don't have somebody. Nobody's right or wrong. I disagree with those who are, you know... Like just performance only, like Mark Feinstein. We had him on the show today. I was like, "You have a terrible ballot." Now I, I just don't like his ballot. <laughs> right, but you weren't vote shaming. You're I'm just not vote shaming. Mentioning that. Plus, so people would you, know if you say, and Mark Feinstein is saying, "I am performance only." If Major League Baseball let those guys on the field and they performed, and I think it's great, I'm going to vote for them. Completely legitimate. It's le- I disagree with it, but it's completely legitimate. Right. Well, we'll get into the vote and non-vote of mine that created the most. Pure, but let, let's just look at what we think is about to happen Tuesday night. Um, it looks like we're going to be teetering on that tightrope of electing Scott Rowland, possibly electing Todd Helton, or electing nobody. Mm. What's your guess? The most likely scenario is is uh, Rowland and Helton fall just short. Uh, I, agree. I I I I hope that doesn't happen. I'm hoping that there will be some sort of surge uh, for people who are looking at the ballot that are thinking, hey, again, I think there was a lot of psychological weight with Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, Schilling, um, and for different reasons with Schilling. But there was just, a, it absorbed a lot of energy. It absorbed your attention. When you're just looking at it, you have to figure it out. So now that those guys are clear, I think people will have a fresh look. And I think people evolve in their thinking. You know, not everybody has the same vote all the time. I'm with you. I think you said, once I vote yes, I've made my decision. Agreed. But I've been on the fence with guys where later I'll say, you know what, I'm fine with him. You know, or I've done more study and I've figured some more things out and I think it would be good to get him in. And I think you can change your vote. It's not like either he is or he isn't. I think that's an ignorant stance. Either he is or he isn't. No, not true. We're choosing, do we want to honor somebody? Do we want to make somebody salesman of the year, policeman of the year, baseball player of the year, uh, grant them some sort of, you know, meritorious service award? 
It's it's a nebulous <laughs> thing. So there's no right or wrong, uh, but just have a reason for it. And I think people do evolve. And when there's a cleared up ballot, I'm hoping enough people will look at it and say, I don't know if they do this, but know that next year, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Chase Utley hit the ballot. They're all strong candidates. I think Beltre gets in. The other two, I, I think, should get in. But they're strong at the very least. The next year, Ichiro and CeCe Sabathia. And some other strong guys like Dustin Pedroia. A couple of strong guys who will take some, get some votes. And I think if you're looking at that, this is the year. Like, you know, not as, you know, Mad Dog said to me, do you think guys are thinking, hey, I want a guy at the, at the, at the ceremony this year. I don't want Fred McGriff standing by himself. I don't want to think that way, but there's something to it. Like, hey, why don't we get the guy in now instead of having a group of six down the line? I think it makes sense this year. Yeah, I, you know, I've been a voter for a long time, and I do think when you get to a year like this, if the alternative is let's elect somebody or let's elect nobody, <laughs> my inclination is yeah. I would really like to see somebody get elected. And, I, you know, just looking at the way – the Hall of Fame tracker has uh, has reflected how certain candidates are surging, but Scott Rowland really hasn't surged that much. It feels to me like that mentality didn't happen so much in his case. I think there are other forces at work, but why would that be? That that I mean, you're looking at this from afar. Why would it be that the brethren, the writers? wouldn't have that urge to elect somebody when Scott Rowland was so close, 47 votes away. Yes, and he kind of checks most boxes, not all boxes, right? Um, you know, who does? Mike Schmidt does yeah. great. Uh, good, Chipper, right? was, Chipper was pretty easy. Chipper was pretty good. George <laughs> Brett was kind of easy. Uh, Eddie Matthews, I think, back in the day was probably pretty easy for people. But I, um, I, I don't know. Um, you saw my essay today. Um, it's not just that he has a 70 war. It's not just that he's ninth in war at his position. Um, I showed what the all ninth war team was, right? That was at every great. position, ninth war. And I think it's Willie McCovey, Willie Stargell, Pee Wee Reese, Roberto Alomar, Tony Gwynn. It's pretty strong, right? You get the sense that's a hall. It is. It's literally a Hall of Fame team, except for Maurer and for and for um, who are we talking about? I blanked out already. I'm gonna have too many names in my head. And for Roland, right. So it's literally, and Roland is on the ballot, and Maurer hits next year. So it's, it's, it's this team where you have, should the top 10 at each position get into the Hall of Fame? Essentially, yes, is the answer. And he had all these years of 31 homers, 110 RBIs. He had these back of the baseball card numbers that I he thought did. these guys, that again, the guys who were like from another era that never got hip to total baseball or Red Bill James or anything. It's like, I don't know, 34 homers, 124 RBIs by a third baseman. Oh, you tell you tell me. There's a, he has a bunch of those years. And, you know, it's not like he did it for invisible teams. The Phillies were no good when he was there. I can vouch for that. But he played on Cardinals teams. One of them won the World Series. Another one won 105 games and lost the World Series to the Red Sox. Mm. But he he, ha he played some amazing baseball for good teams. And I can tell you, as somebody who covered him in Philadelphia, I mean, he arrived in Philadelphia at 21 years old. And watching him, I thought, I've never seen anything like this. I've, I, you know, I saw Mike Schmidt play. I'd never seen the position played the way Scott Rowland played it. I wrote in my column that he was like a combo platter of Brooks Robinson meets Lawrence Taylor. 
<laughs> because <laughs> he just had this ferocity about the way he played the position. If it was hit anywhere on the left side of the infield, he was sure he was going to catch it. He'd run over the grounds crew. <laughs> the shortstop didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then he had this remarkable arm where sitting down, one knee, f- fading away, he could throw you out. And it was dazzling to watch. Uh, I mean, I know it wasn't this age, but games were on TV then. <laughs> we right, have, right. We have highlights that we can show people. <laughs> it's cable TV. Uh, there, like, yeah. <laughs> I think, I thought this to myself, tell me what you think. I think if he had played in the age of StatCast, where we could really measure uh, precisely the amount of ground he covered and the balls yeah. he turned into yeah. outs that other yeah. third basemen didn't, I think it would have helped Scott Rowland. Yeah, I think so too. He had new, new defensive metrics. He had defensive now because now we can absolutely look at Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, uh, whoever it is at, at, at third base, and say, "Wow, look at this guy!" It's not just that. Well, he's really good, or he's excellent. It's like he's plus twenty-one. Like that's di- when you when you put a number to something, it changes your thought on it. And absolutely, if he had some of these outrageous defensive metrics, like the way we think of Arenado now, you're like, "Well, no, no, he's not just plus. He's elite." It's beyond that. And Arenado was viewed that way. I mean, Roland was viewed that way. Yeah, I think he's really a cross between Nolan Arenado and Adrian Beltre. I mean, Arenado in the sense that like, watching them both play third base is a very similar experience. And Beltre, because he was steady, the way Scott Rowland was steady offensively. And, um, you know, I've used this stat a bunch of times, but... Scott Rowland had eight seasons with a gold glove and an OPS 20% above league average or more. The only third baseman in history who had more than that was Mike Schmidt. I mean, he's mm. got more than Arenado has of seasons like that. I just think he was a better offensive player than people remember yeah. and an incredible base runner yeah. and a leader and a winner, very strong-minded guy. So... Um, I think he's easy for you and me, but I don't think he gets elected this week. All right. That'd be a shame. It would be a shame. Yeah. But now let me that, that leads into uh the Fuhrer. Listed on Twitter was my ballot. Just the names. There was mm-hmm. a link to my column. Nobody wanted to get that far. <laughs> they just wanted to look at those names. <laughs> All right. And that would take work to actually read your column for Yeah, it. we can't ask that. Yeah, no. All right. So on the list, Scott Rowland. Not on the list, Andrew Jones. The Andrew Jones fan club cannot comprehend this. Yeah. Um, here's what I find interesting about it. I'll, go, I'll be happy to defend this in a minute. But just because the case for two players starts with the glove doesn't mean they have the same case. No, right. Of course. <laughs> Therefore, I need to vote for I, I, both of them. I, I'm, just, I'm puzzled at all because I, you tell me now, uh, if I had my, my mythical ballot, if I had, if I had a, a vote, uh, I have Andrew Jones on it. Uh, that, you, that you don't, and you tell me you don't, it's not like, I don't get it. How could you be thinking what you think? I know exactly what you're thinking. I, know, I don't know precisely what you're thinking. I know vaguely what you're thinking. He's on the border. It's like, it's like um, I don't know, uh, Maury Wills, Minnie Mignoso, Ken Boyer. Like, uh, you could make a case, but if you're thinking not quite, uh, makes sense. He had a ten-year career of a great glove. A lot of guys who have a like a great like six, eight years. I'm a peak guy, but they have the great bat. He didn't have a great bat. He had he had a good enough bat and he had a great glove. But it's a, it's a different 
sort of career. And he did fall off a cliff. And he wasn't even a good defensive player at that point. And perhaps, perhaps the metrics do overrate him a bit. I, th- I think, again, I watched him play through those years. I thought he was very good. Um, I did not get the same feeling. I'm not saying this is a completely accurate thing. Did not get the same feeling I was I did when I was watching Paul Blair, for example, who was the, a monster in center field. Or think of the Kansas City Royals during their championship run where it was Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon and the ball never quite hit grass. <laughs> right. Like there was a two-year run where like, the, and you're watching playoffs and you're like, the ball doesn't seem to fall into the outfield <laughs> at all with these guys. I didn't get that sense, but I know Jones, like, it's not a phantom metric either. He did cover a ton of ground. Um, But I, so I'm voting yes, because he hits enough things that I like with the outrageous defensive metrics, with a center fielder. I think we, like, jobbed center fielders in our Hall of Fame voting. No doubt. Edmonds, Bernie, Lofton. What happened? We've elected two and four Yeah, ridiculous. I think Beltron was the guy who was going to be. Uh, you know, like get finally getting that combo platter vote of, oh, okay, you don't have to hit quite like Mickey Mantle because he's the greatest ever, but we can accept a little lesser offense. But I understand why you don't. I don't think you're, you're, you're crazy, but it brings to mind the pattern that we've had recently. And actually, I have a, an essay on this for MLB Now on Tuesday that, think about it, McGriff and Jeff Kent started about the same level as Roland, as Messina, Edgar Martinez, Tim Raines, the sabermetric darlings. And these are our guys. We're the sabermetric guys. <laughs> we, we're, we love sabermetric darlings. I create sabermetric darlings. And, <laughs> and, and these guys are not. And they never got the same traction. Jeff Kent, Fred McGriff just kind of languished. And isn't it kind of obvious that now that McGriff is a Hall of Famer, it's kind of obvious Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer. It's kind of obvious. So, yeah, these guys are on the border. And yet it, it gets into this vote shaming where Larry Walker made these huge leaps. And God bless him. But a lot of it was the old writers, newspapers are dying. You're getting labeled as a dinosaur and it's evolve or die. And everyone suddenly watched Moneyball and thought, I don't want to die. I'd like to evolve. I'll evolve. I'll do whatever you people want. Fine. Fine with me. And it's eventually like, oh, I, I give. Again, it, what's it, what's fashionable and what's unfashionable? That's a John Thorne thing that I picked up. Because what is in fashion? That's a it's great not that point. you have to, right? It's fashionable now to not... Um, want to punish guys who have used PEDs. It used to be fashionable to punish them. Now it is not fashionable. So now if you went out and said, hey, you know what? Everyone was good with steroids. I'm good with the guys who did steroids. You'd get applause. Like it it just is. It's more fashionable. So Andrew Jones right now with a saber set and Braves fans, um, it's fashionable. And you're picking something that's unfashionable. Defensible, unfashionable. Yeah, it's very easy to go along with the, you know, just ride the tide and follow the crowd as the as the vote totals start to climb. And hey, the Andrew Jones, if he ever makes it, the climb would be historic. He was getting 32, 33 yeah. votes his first two years. And I, I'm and, all for like changing that to like, uh, if, you, if you think, hey, so what the guy uh, vote total was, Burt Blylevin, wherever, like the guys who were like, hey, wait a second, you got to take I've evolved on guys like that. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the, I did try to make the point when I wrote my column that I don't pretend I know it all. I don't pretend I've seen it all. I enjoy the dialogue with smart people, and I have had a lot of that dialogue with Andrew Jones. And so let me just explain a little bit my thinking, <laughs> if any Braves fans are listening this, this far in. Offensively, I, I, just, I don't see a guy who is as good as 430-whatever homers 
makes him look. He would have the lowest batting average of any outfitter in the Hall of Fame and the second lowest at any position. Okay, that's that's a guy who needs help offensively. Had a 111 OPS plus for his career would be third lowest of any outfielder. So he would need remarkable defense, right? Just based on that. You mentioned the cliff. Age 30, after age 30, this guy didn't, he played five more years and didn't have five wins above replacement combined. Uh, mm-hmm. he would have the fewest wins above replacement from age 30 on of any Hall of Fame outfielder. So again, you don't need just great defense. You need historically great defense. Right. And there are metrics that make it feel like that's what Andrew Jones was. The greatest ever, better than Mays. I'm that guy who for a while now has said, I'm not sure that's what he was. And, you know, so I've... I've, I've been reading the work and been in touch with this guy named Chris Dial. He's the other real contrarian on Andrew Jones' defense who has argued, if you really look at this, look, for three, four years, he was the best we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But at that point, he began to gain weight. He began to lose sprint speed. Um, a lot of the, the metrics are dependent on the fact that in that outfield with guys like Ryan Klesko playing in the corners, you know, he was allowed to, to catch every soft fly ball to left center, every pop-up that the shortstop or the second baseman catch on most teams. Uh, and it padded his numbers to the, the point where the Chris Stiles theory is he clearly deserved only three or four of those gold gloves and even if you say, well, there are variables that you know, we're taking into account, who else was in the league, um, nowhere close to 10. And I know other people who think this. I've been talking to them ever since I wrote my Stark Truth book. And so I've tried hard to vote for Andrew Jones. I'm just not quite there. Because if there's even a question about whether his, his period of defensive dominance was as long as we want to make it seem to be... Mm-hmm. I don't think he has anything else or not enough beside the glove right. to motivate me to vote for him. But if I, by saying that, can you tell I thought about it a little bit? Yeah, that's what I mean. You do, you're, you're in the weeds. Like you, it's not, you're not glossing over. You're getting deep into it. And there is something to, again, back in the old days, anecdotal notes were, all, were like ruled the day. Well, now you're starting with the data and then you're going to anecdotes and you're going into, because you can always find, oh, I talked to one guy that said this guy was terrific. Oh, I talked to one guy that said this guy was terrible. And you can always find those guys, <laughs> right? And but, but you're asking real questions, trying to get answers. And yeah, you've gotten into it. I'm looking it up as you go, just to refresh in my head. Again, his peak years, 1998 to 2007, those are high run scoring years. So he slugs over 500. So if you look at it at face value, hey, wait a second. He was a good fielder. We know he's pretty good. I'm not disputing that. Nobody's saying he's not good. So we know he's good at least. Uh, But he slugged 500 for 10 years. So to my mind, it's like that's kind of saying he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, His OPS plus, though, in that that stretch is 115. He's like – it's like guys who drove in 140 runs in the Depression. It's like a lot of guys were doing that. It was being done because they were scoring so many runs. Now, find a guy who was hitting – 340, nobody was, in 1968, 1969, 1970. Like, 
That's monstrous. That's like hitting 390 in any other era. So you have to take into context the run scoring. And I'm with you on the defense. Um, I was watching. Look, I was at ESPN in those days doing baseball tonight. I was watching a lot of baseball. I didn't go crazy for him the way you go crazy for, right, Brooks Robinson, Ozzie Smith. Like there are guys that you want. Keith Hernandez. Like I'll go, I'll go to the wall on Keith Hernandez in defense. Will. I'll go I'd, and and anybody wants to tell me it's like it was like when you just weren't watching, you weren't watching closely. I'll do, I'll go to the wall on Don Mattingly's defense. I have Hernandez a little better than Mattingly, but I also watched Mattingly a ton. He was a fantastic glove at first base, and I think the the metrics job him. Um, so I can do that for a lot of different players. And you've gone into the weeds on this, and I think you're on to something. I can still say I'm comfortable voting with him, but he's on the border. He's on the border. Exactly right. right, We don't want to spend the whole thing on Andrew Jones. Carlos Beltran, best of the first year candidates on this ballot. (laughs) Has a little asterisk, though, from the 2017 Astros. Do you think the 2017 Astros and his role in that sign stealing, specifically called out by Rob Manfred in his report, should be enough to keep Carlos Beltran out of the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I know. I, I, I do think this because having gone through the whole steroid era where, again, for a long time now, we've wondered, like, where's the outrage for this? And we've seen an erosion of that outrage, right? right. I didn't anticipate that. The younger voters will kind of tell you, the millennials, guys who are just getting the vote now, will say, these guys were all cheating and they allowed it and Bud Selig liked it. And it's like, wait, wait, <laughs> hold on a second. It was flat out considered cheating back then. Flat out was. Ben Johnson shamed 1988. So you're telling me in the mid-90s it was the loosey-goosey era? No, it wasn't. It was, it was loosey-goosey in a there, sense. There are a lot it of was, people doing it. It Wild West. But they, they were doing it and there were a lot of guys not doing it. And yet it was considered cheating. It was considered wrong. If it was considered right, they would have talked about it. I use testosterone and it's fantastic. Like they would have said that. They don't say, they don't say it now. You can't say it now. So it was cheating. Now, I've never in baseball seen the outrage that there was Absolutely. for anything that there was for sign stealing. My prediction, it was fashionable to hate the Astros. It was fashionable to hate Jeff Luno. And when you had the weight of baseball, baseball, the commissioner, everybody, and then the players – the players never pipe in and hate on their fellow players. They hated the Astros. They were all Yankees hated them. Dodgers hated them. Everybody hated them. It was fashionable. And there was a dog pile. And guys got fired. Guys got ostracized. Guys got banished. Beltron got banished. He had the job with the Mets and he got booted out. So I had the sense the whole time that when it comes to Beltron on the ballot, that outrage is actually not there. It was fashionable. People like to hate on them. And I think it barely dings him in this vote. We're seeing from his vote total that the outrage is not there. Um, He's going to be somewhere around 50%, maybe above 50%. And that surprises me. I mean, none of the equivalent PED guys in their first year got 40%. He's going to get 50. So that is telling us something. But I can tell you, he held up my ballot for over a week trying to sort out mm-hmm. what I wanted to do about this. I mean, I did all the work that showed. So you said, you, is he on your ballot or no? I voted for him. You are voting. I did vote you for did him. vote for him. But so where's was, your outrage? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, it wasn't that hard to establish. This guy had a Hall of Fame career. And he'd already had it 
Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. By the way, I agree with you. There are a lot of people that like you have a very enlightened view, again, because you have to take into consideration he's playing center field. Because and you have to take into consideration he could field he could uh, he had good he was a good base runner he, he was, was a, an excellent postseason player he's an excellent postseason <laughs> well yeah but but so was Bernie Williams so was Jimmy Edmonds so Kenny Lofton was a great fielder and base runner they got lost in the sauce I'm terrible. saying in the old no, that was his, terrible. like does he have 500 home runs uh, where is he with his RBIs uh, how many MVPs did he win he doesn't have that old stuff I was heartened when. It became like a thing that Carlos Beltran was a Hall of Famer. I'm like, this is good because people are seeing the proper context of his total game, that he was that good. Of course, he's a Hall. He's over the line. For us, I'm saying there'd be a lot of people that weren't there. But I'm, all I'm saying is, like, you don't ding him at all. Like, a, like so, so the sign-stealing thing didn't bother you, which is fine. But I wonder, it seemed to bother so many people. It, I, I mean, it wouldn't, if I didn't. If it didn't bother me, why did it take me over a week to decide I was going to You got over it. I couldn't. You got over it pretty quickly. I I had to sort through it. And I'll tell you, one of the, like the quote that stuck with me was a quote from the piece in The Athletic that Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick wrote about Carlos Beltran and his role in that scandal in which he got to the Astros and he said, you guys are behind the times on sign stealing, right? And so what is that telling us? He had been other places or knew of other places where they were already doing the stuff that the Astros then learned to do, except they threw trash cans in there. Well, that's it. I think, <laughs> I don't know, right? Uh, but watching the whole thing, we knew. I was, uh, you know, I've been at World Series. Remember the Dodgers Astros World Series? There was, there was whistling back and forth. If you were down low, and I yes. happened to be down low, where, and I remember talking to, you know, I forgot who I was talking to, probably Dave Roberts. And he was like, they were outraged. Bob Guerin was the bench coach. And like, they would, they would see the signs go in, the pitcher come to the set and like that. Some, and they'd be like, oh, time out, hold on. Because they knew, wait, you're up to something. Now, there is a line. We know there is a legal part of that. And Carlos Beltran was considered the best at it. Part of his Correct. part of his reputation that really was burnished in the latter part of his career was that he was so smart. He mentored the younger players. He taught them to the nuances of the game. And I think, I, I like to think that the Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, the upper echelon smart teams with baseball ops, they were all doing things, but there was a line. And I think the Astros were the most developed, the most aggressive, and the smartest. And they had enough people in there that I think they went that next step. They did. And they went there. And Beltron was a pivotal figure in that. So do I want to punish the guy forever? Jason, I don't want to punish anybody forever. Would I ding him for one year? I think I'd, uh, John Heyman has, a, I think, a very good vote. He said, I, I, he goes, I think there's something to still in this day and age to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. Eventually, Carlos Beltran should be honored. I don't want to ding him forever. I don't want to ding Pete Rose forever, actually. I don't, you know, I don't want to punish anybody for the, their whole lives. Uh, but I think one year sends a proper message. See, I think that's what's happening. Um, it's going to work out fine for him. But I have a philosophy that I've learned the hard way that if you say to yourself, well, I think this guy's a Hall of Famer, but he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, so I won't vote for him this year. And then all 400 other voters say that. True. There's no second True. year. Much so true. I'm just, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to be that guy. All right, we could talk Hall of Fame like for hours. Before we go, I want to ask you about the top 10 right now shows, wow. which you are doing. I guess they go on for, they started what, three weeks ago? They run for another couple of weeks. I think another week something or something. Like that. Yeah. 
And uh, I participated in this for the first time in the right fielder show. And I, look, I knew it was hard to come up with these lists. Uh, I never realized how hard it was until I had to do it. And I put in hours for what I think was a four minute segment. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I thought it would be the, the names at the top that really burned my brain cells. It really is figuring it's out. Not, it's nine, who 10 and who's not who you're making leaving it. Yeah, right, off. Right. So this is what you find from doing them all these years. Yeah. I, in fact, I, and I've become, I don't know if you noticed, I've become much less strident about it, but I think there's a fascinating dynamic happening where, and I alluded to it today when uh, John Morosi had uh, like Mark Burley and Tori Hunter. And when he said, I have Hunter on my ballot, and I go, Tori Hunter? Like, I just <laughs> didn't know. Like, I'm not used to hearing that. Good. Somebody should take a flyer on this guy. Somebody should make a case for. And I found on all of our lists, there's a homogenization of thought. There is a group think at work. We're all the shredder now. It used to be controversial. <laughs> Top 10 right now. Maybe it's marginally controversial here or there, but the shredder used to be wildly controversial. And now, no matter who it is, if it's Carlos Pena, Sean Casey, um, Ron Darling, whoever comes in, like essentially their list is the same. And actually, like now even Bob Costas and Mad Dog have a similar list. And I want wow. someone make make a case for someone. I did that. Who did you make a case Lars for? Newtbar. Lars Newtbar. Lars <laughs> Newtbar, good. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Come on. I, but my even thing was like, I thought I was making, I was taking a stand by not having Garrett Cole in my top 10. But that then, a stand. but nobody had Garrett Cole in their top 10. Wow. And, and I thought, hey, somebody should. Like, yeah, the metrics aren't there. Don't, don't like the cut of his jib. There's all sorts of things. But hold on. At the end of next year, What's the probability or possibility that we'll be saying, what a great year by Garrett Cole, top three in Cy Young, and he's easily one of the top 10 of the game. Like, it's a very good possibility or probability that that'll be the case. Yeah. Someone should take a flyer on him. Someone should make a case for Christian Yelich. Nobody would. It's like, somebody should. Like, Cody Bellinger. Somebody should make a case for Cody Bellinger in the top 10. And a few did. Like, we had, I'd slipped him in at 10. A few people did. You, could, you know, that's where your wild card pick goes. But there is, um, like, it's a... It's not, I don't know if it's disturbing, but again, what do we, what was Sabermetrics was supposed to be about? Critical thinking and not just a, a, a group think. And I think we've all come up with the same way of thinking. We're coming up with essentially the same lists. And is, are they, have we all just gotten smart or are we all just thinking the same way? Well, there's, there's a lot more information now to help you build those lists, but there is too much group think. And this, you know, I wanted to ask you about the shredder. There really is such a thing as the shredder. We have a proprietary <laughs> formula. And um, the best thing about the shredder is, is also the worst thing about the shredder is that the shredder, does, we do not change. That's one thing I work with the researchers. We don't make exceptions. We don't say, what? You can't manipulate the shredder. No. You get somebody no. on there. That well, that's really or get, or get someone off. If you get a bad result, no, no, no. There's no bad result. There's the result. And we've done that. Now, I think we've changed like the sample size for relief pitching because it's so volatile. We made a change on that. I think we've also in the past few years gone to fan graphs war for catching because it uses a framing component. We just thought that was better. We do things that we think are better. Um, I think the shredder uses like a three-year sample, but it weights the more recent more. I, I got rid of 2020 because it was a weird year. Obviously, it's a two-month season. It's a strange pandemic year. So I got rid of that, but the shredder doesn't. But again, the shredder will sometimes, again, the shredder's strength is it doesn't care 
about all your little machinations. The numbers are the numbers, and this is it. Now, from there, we should be better than the shredder. We should be able to look at the shredder's numbers and say, yes, but, yes, and. Or there was a, there's a couple of players on there where a three-year sample is just the worst thing you can do to a guy. Because actually, a one-year sample is great. A four-year sample where you get his great 2019 is in. And you can do that. And it's the top 10 the right can. now. Yeah. So you have to be thinking ahead. How does the shredder You're projecting for next year. <laughs> right. right. I'm so, just... I'm just happy to hear that the shredder is as all-powerful as I've always dreamed it to be. No emotion, no bias, <laughs> no tinkering. We do not tinker with the shredder. When, when does it, it do, spits out, it spits out. Does it do any actual shredding? I could bring some up. Like, <laughs> that's, 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 we got a big box mean, of shredding. Mean, do you have any classified documents near your Corvette? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no. We, I can't we, it does not shred. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Brian, I love hanging around Cooperstown with you. We'll be doing it all week. The Hall of Fame selection show announcement show is that what we're calling call announcement show yes <laughs> okay. the official announcement 6 p.m eastern on tuesday mlb now two to four tuesday two to three wednesday you me john paul morosi it's so much fun to be here doing this show so please join us for that thanks for listening to me and brian do our thing on the hall of fame we've been doing it for 20 something years it never gets tired Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, Doug is back. And uh, Doug, you know what we're not doing this week? Trivia. (laughs) It's such a busy week. We're trying to streamline a little bit. But there's one segment we couldn't possibly skip, and that is The Dugout. That that is the place where we gather around every show around our friend Doug Lanville, and we allow him to tell one of his many entertaining stories about his life in baseball. So this week, Doug, uh, he played with Scott Rowland. You played with a guy who might be getting elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Scott is, he's, he was, he is a smart, funny human being. 
So I would like to lean back now and let you tell your favorite Scott Rowland stories. I might chip in one at the end, but go for oh, it, man. Man, it is, it's so hard to pick. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Well, all right, yes, Scott was funny. I mean, he's dry funny. humor. And, you know, I mean, I always enjoyed Centerfield was what I called the office. So I'd be out in center during batting practice <laughs> and all these players would come out there and we'd just talk about whatever. And I always appreciated that as young players, veterans, you know, we see third baseman like rolling out in centerfield. Uh, and he used to have these, you know, all his theories would, would air out there. Uh, so I, I think of a, a couple of things, but one story about him coming out was there is a second half of the season and it was one of the other many futile years that we were chasing the Atlanta Braves uh, that was impossible and we always were staring at their back so you know I hadn't even thought about it, it was like the all-star break we start the second half I'm like all right yeah let's go all right let's go we're gonna figure it out we have this good team and Scott was like look let me explain something to you right now okay so the the Braves are playing like 750 baseball or whatever they are if we play 800 baseball the rest of the season, and the Braves play 500, we still won't catch them. So the season's over, okay? The season is over. Pretty uplifting. I was like, oh, that's just great. Like, I mean, it's like, I hadn't thought of that. So Scott was a piece of work. And the thing about him that, you know, outside of the calculations and the sometimes the circular conversations you might have with Scott, it's like, uh, there was one time where we went on a road trip to the West Coast and we got beat. Like we, we won one game in every series, but we, you know, end up like four and eight or whatever it was. Right. So it's like Padres, Rockies, whoever, Giants, Dodgers or something. <laughs> so we come back. I think there's like a, a day off and then we have early batting practice the next day. So, you know, and there's a game. So, all right. So, you know, I played mostly every day. And so Bobby Abreu, uh, myself and Roland, maybe one other guy, but I, Travis Lee, I think we didn't come to early batting practice, right? And we're all hitting probably 220 at the time. So Larry Bo is the manager, and he's outraged. Like, how do you guys not take early batting practice? You stink, and we're we just lost four out of twelve, whatever, eight out of twelve. <laughs> Where are you guys, right? So he calls Bobby. I think it's Bobby Scott and I in the office, and. You know, and, you know, Bo is like kind of, you know, bobbing his head at it, you know, and, uh, you know, calling us out. And Scott, you know, this is Roland, right? You, you can't mess with Scott Roland. He's like, are you questioning my professionalism? Are you questioning my professionalism? <laughs> That's all. He, and like the room, I think not only did it get silent, it got cold in there. Like, I think the temperature dropped 30 degrees. Like Scott Roland, that ice, you, you're not quite, like I hit off the tee. Every day. That is my routine. You need to trust me as a professional that I know what needs to be done to be prepared for this game. So I don't appreciate you. So, I mean, and you could see Boa is like, just like his eyes, like, like saucers. And he just sort of has to melt off of his point. It's like, no, 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 I'm yeah. not saying that. And, you know, he just had to kind of change the conversation. And, and uh, I understood what Bo, Bo, and I call him Bo, what Bo was doing. I know he was trying to shake us up because he's like, don't be complacent here. And it's true. We were veterans and we had routines. Bobby liked soft toss, Roland liked the T. You know, I was kind of a soft toss guy. And, and we, you know, that's what we trusted more than like hitting on the field that particular day. And it was a West Coast long trip. So we made that choice, but it wasn't good optics. And there was young guys hitting. 
I get it. But Scott was very focused on his routine. And, you know, he had his plan. And and so, you know, the question like came you, up. We could do an hour of Scott and Boa stories. Oh, my goodness. We, we'll spare uh, people those. We'll, but yeah, we won't, we, we that was no love spare. fest. No, no, no. <laughs> Scott, was, was not, Scott, Scott did not different. being, he did not enjoy being told by Larry what he should and should be doing, <laughs> right. shouldn't be doing about anything. So yeah, back to you, no. No, it was, it was it was a tough a, a tough go, but you know Scott very much you know focused. He had his lunch pail. He's going in. He works hard, and he just wants to get in and do his thing. And that was that was the focus. So professional, the core. You know, being from Jasper, Indiana, he had a lot of pride and just like how things are done in the heartland. You know, he kind of had his approach, and um, and you know he was funny. He had a lot of you know quiet jokes, and he. He kept everybody laughing in a lot of ways, but he was also very serious about, you know, his craft. It was definitely, you know, a worksman's approach. So, uh, you know, so I, you know, I appreciated it. And, and uh, you know, to this day, you know, I text him once in a while. He'll call me and, and we just laugh sometimes, pick up the phone. I remember when he, uh, <laughs> one off season when he had his daughter and, you know, all, he, he leaves me this message and I, I listen to it. He's like, can't sleep insomnia, tired, don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, this is what happens when you have a child <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> he was yeah. so delirious. So, I mean, Scott was just a you know piece of work. So, um, but yes, um, loved watching him play, played with total reckless abandon. And, um, you know, he kept it light. And you, you learn when he was, you know, being serious and when he wasn't. But uh, every day was a joy, and, and I think that's what he brought. So when you think of Hall of Fame, I could I could see uh, Scott in there. It'd definitely be a lot more fun if he is. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, one thing about him was he he could not self-promote. He would not self-promote. No, he, he would not. He would never, he ever do that. And, you know, like I have a – like I don't know why this story is stuck in my head, Doug, about him, but – was in spring training one year, and if I'm okay, if I'm remembering this right, he makes a long trip to go face Pedro Martinez. <laughs> okay, and Pedro strikes him out three times. He goes over three against three punch outs with three punch outs against Pedro, and then comes out of the game. <laughs> and so I said to him, "What are you doing? Like, why did you make this?" Trip, you got stature here. You didn't have to do this. Why did you want to come face Pedro? And he said, "Just wanted to find out how bad I really am." <laughs> that was, like that was it. Just Mister Dry Humor has spoken. <laughs> Any more questions? I just wanted to find out how bad I really was, and that just—that just a, a story, a line, a look on his face. That sticks in my head when I think of covering that guy. He was, he had, he had thoughts. It was always fun to talk to him because you never know where it was going. But I, uh, as you know, I love that about players. I particularly loved it about Scott. He was a beauty. Uh, he didn't always let the world see that hilarious side of him. But that's really like the best part of having a segment on this podcast where we can tell these stories. And so if he gets elected next year instead of this yeah. week, 
we can tell more of them next year, right? That works for me. Oh, oh many, <laughs> many times. I mean, I just think of, uh, you know, he. This is this captures him pretty well when we were the cutter became the thing, right? This is during our career, you know, didn't see a lot and um, started to become a pitch, you know. So he got a 2-0 count. He pops up on a cutter to the shortstop and he walks in the dugout and just says, does everyone have a cutter? And that's it. <laughs> they put his bat down. <laughs> so no, I mean, he just had five a words, right? of like O2 takes. I mean, he just did some things. But yeah, Scott was is legendary. So I hopefully I'm talking about him in the near future about his election. Uh, but if not, uh, maybe next year. Yeah, he's he's going to get in. I just he's just if he doesn't get in, I think he should look at it as he's just getting more time to work in his speech. And what a right. speech it'll be! Oh, priceless. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic. Just like this, all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to read any of the great Hall of Fame coverage in The Athletic, we can tell you how. You should try going to theathletic.com slash baseball show, and if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. What a deal. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Uh, most of these shows, although not this show, we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove, once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. One good thing about not having trivia, didn't get one wrong this week. But... <laughs> That's, it will be back. So if you'd like to join us and stump us with trivia, you can email us at Stuckville, with an E on the end, at theathletic.com. Or there's always Twitter. Doug Glanville, I believe you remain on Twitter. Is that correct? I'm still here. I'm trying to you know, go for the long haul. And uh, <laughs> you can find me very easily and very boringly at Doug Glanville. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Pretty standard stuff. You can find me yeah. at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason with a Y-S-T. Remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Brian Kennedy for visiting us. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville. Starkville. Nope. Nope. That's pretty good. Not good. Awesome. Not good.